Hey everyone, welcome to Simplexity, where we simplify the complexities of life and bring a little curiosity and contemplation to meaningful, sometimes difficult conversations. I'm your host, Allison Stoner. Democracy and the world of government and politics can seem like advanced calculus to someone who's learning how to count numbers for the first time. It is a very complex and dense subject that our education system doesn't really explain in depth. Or maybe my teachers tried, but I still didn't get it. For example, over the entire course of a presidential election, the average citizen and voter mostly hears debates, rhetoric, and campaigns built around a main set of four or five issues, perhaps jobs in the economy, healthcare, immigration, social justice, and national security, and then selects a candidate to be our leader. Not only are there dozens of broad categories of policies to cover, such as domestic, foreign, science, environment, and education, within these are hundreds of subcategories, thousands of policies, and tens of thousands of bills over the year that involve a whole lot more than a president signing them to become the law of the land. This is all just the tip of the iceberg. So let's break it down. First things first, we're going to chat about the federal government. Note, there are also levels of state government and local government too. The federal government is separated into three sections, each with different duties, different elections, and different legal powers. On one hand, this is great because no one person can make all the decisions for everyone, but it's just convoluted enough that if we don't do the work to understand these systems and their distinctions, we can't really act on our civil responsibilities effectively. These branches of government are the executive branch, which includes the president and, get this, approximately 5 million workers overall, the legislative branch, known as Congress, which breaks down into the Senate and House of Representatives, and the judicial branch, which includes the Supreme Court and lower courts. To simplify that even further, Legislative or Congress makes laws, executive or president carries out laws, judicial or Supreme Court evaluates laws. If you didn't catch a theme here, basically, if you want to change things, if you're not happy with certain laws and how they affect you at a federal level, you need to be aware of the legislative arm of government. Voting in a president definitely matters, but who sits in Congress and how they do or don't represent you affects you more than you may realize. It's also worth mentioning around 10,000 bills are proposed to Congress each year, around 1,000 are voted on, and several hundred get passed into law every single year. For each of these bills, you can tell your representative your views and how you want them to vote, and the stats show they actually listen. According to the Congressional Management Foundation, 88% of staffers say the electronic messages from their constituents do influence their decisions on the floor. How our representatives in Congress vote matters, and we have the power to keep them in office through re-election or not but we usually don't exercise this power. Members of the House and Senate have been reelected with dismal approval ratings simply because it's so hard to tell if they're in fact representing us or if 
we even understand all the issues, details, and inner workings of every bill and how they interact with our values. It is not as simple as a party affiliation anymore, if it ever was, really. It matters on a micro level. So how do we know what it all means and if we're being represented so we can exercise our privilege of democracy and participate in real change? Today on Simplexity, we have Maria Ewan, the founder and CEO of Issue Voter, a free nonpartisan online program and platform that encourages and informs civic action by connecting voters with bills that deal with issues they care about. It also informs them of the actions their representatives take on those issues. I would know this firsthand because I myself signed up after meeting Maria during a show we were both featured on, and I've since finally gained clarity and confidence with this process. I'm telling you, the interface of Issue Voter is just incredibly simple and straightforward, and I will keep gushing, I'm sure, over the course of this interview. So today we're going to examine how small one-time actions can invoke real legislative change, and then also talk about why petitions don't necessarily work, entrepreneurship, and so much more. Maria, welcome to Simplexity. Thanks for having me. Yes, I am so thrilled in such a critical time to be talking about these topics that we have you on board to disseminate some knowledge and wisdom for us. To begin, I want to get to know you a little bit better and have our audience understand how you entered this sphere. So you mentioned that your dad is from China, and he really helped you understand the importance of democracy at a young age. Beyond just civic responsibility in your young life. Where do you think your interest in politics as a career developed? And were you also encouraged to be loyal to a certain party? I think my realization that I could do something related to democracy and politics as an adult only came later in life. And it's only a thread that I've seen in hindsight, that saying everything is 2020 in hindsight. So looking back, I do realize that, like you mentioned, because my dad fled communist China, from a very early age, I had a appreciation for democracy and the fact that voting is one of our most fundamental rights. I grew up with parents who always voted. My mom was born in the US and interestingly, they never talked about who they voted for. And so I did not grow up in a partisan household. I just knew that voting was our civic duty but there wasn't actually a lot of debate around Democrats versus Republicans or anything like that when I was growing up. I do remember mock voting in second grade. And so to your point, I think civic education is really important. And there are studies that show that students who are exposed to debate and civic education at a young age, meaning even elementary school, are more likely to vote as adults. And so a lot of the efforts around voter registration and encouraging individuals to vote happen, start happening in college because people become eligible at 18. But I do think there needs to be more focus and effort on what happens at the younger ages of education and understanding our government. I also, in college, participated with a group of students to introduce and pass a bill, which was a really unique experience and something that made me feel powerful and made me feel like the system worked. I also, from that experience, went to intern for a rep while I was in college. And there, I think I started to see a little bit of where I feel like the system breaks down, which is that I noticed in that office that so few constituents actually contacted the representative. And constituents are 
anyone who lives in their district. And that can be anyone regardless of age or citizenship. One of the days we got the most phone calls on a bill, it was only 19 phone calls. So even such a small number, you know, when you call your rep or, or make your voice heard, it can make a difference, especially on these pieces of legislation that are not getting national news. And I spent a lot of my time in that office RSVPing to events, <laughs> probably put on by donors and companies and lobbyists. And that's not to say that all of those things are bad or evil. I think there is a place for uh, think tanks, for lobbyists. They provide valuable information and data. But I think that the, cha the problem is when people that we elect only hear from the most well-funded or well-organized groups. And I just went on a little bit of a big tangent to your simple question and took you through my whole life almost. But going back to like seeing politics as a career, I, I didn't. I didn't see it as a career when I was younger. I majored in finance. I worked in financial services, but it was always a passion of mine. And so this is something where only, only more recently have I realized that I could turn this passion into something really concrete and hopefully see a big change and a vision for how all Americans can have their voices heard and how we can have a more representative Congress. Is that when you made the transition into entrepreneurship? It was, it was, a, it was a long time coming, but at the light bulb moment was that I was a campaign manager in Iowa. And I was frustrated by the fact that people could not answer the very simple, well, what should be a very simple question, which is, is my rep actually representing me? And I marinated on this for almost 10 years before I launched Issue Voter. And I watched the civic tech space for a long time. And I will say this very bluntly and, and somewhat critically, which is a lot of what I see in civic tech is either new apps, new companies coming out with a very Silicon Valley-like approach. There's nothing wrong with that in and of itself, but they have zero impact on actual policymaking and will have zero impact on the effectiveness of our democracy, in mm -hmm. my opinion. Or I would see services coming from people from DC or people who've worked in policy, and still they just weren't simple enough or condensed enough or easy to use or fun to use even for most people to actually want to engage with. They're still services that are mainly used by people whose jobs are in policy. And that's not the majority of people. That's an excellent way to put it. And everything you just listed are favorable traits of issue voters. So I want to talk about it because it truly does condense and simplify and even make civic responsibility feel fun, not to take away from the seriousness of issues, but to cause a sense of confidence and knowing I, I'm competent enough to make an informed decision here and and like you said, it's empowering and you can actually measure the results. I love that you have the scorecard. Oh, that you're able to see. Oh, we'll, we'll get into it. So let's let's talk about building issue voter. For those who don't know, currently 40% of registered voters are registered as independents and 48% of millennials do not identify with any particular political party. Now, when you created Issue Voter, how did it come about? What is it in your own words? And, and what is the need you're trying to meet? So our mission is to give everyone a voice in our representative democracy by making civic engagement accessible, efficient, and impactful. And we do that by sending alerts before Congress votes on issues that you care about. In those alerts, we condense bills into layman's terms, along with points from both sides. 
Each individual can send their opinion to their rep by choosing support or oppose. And then, as you mentioned, we automatically track how your rep actually votes and show you the percentage of time they're voting, how you would uh, voting with your viewpoints. And so how it came to be, would, I would say the first step was talking to a lot of people, just having conversations and asking people how they can engage with politics, what frustrates them, are they a voter, are they not a voter, why, why not? And so doing a lot of research and understanding if some of the early ideas of what issue voter would be were actually solving a problem that people had. And so I think it was basically taking a design thinking approach before I really even knew what that term was or that that was a thing. Conducting UX research. <laughs> Excellent. I just received an alert yesterday, so I have to check out what that bill is. And to clarify, when you talk about uh, pre presenting information on both sides, you don't actually mean Republican versus Democrat, you mean people who are for or opposed. Because I noticed when you provide supplementary information, should the user choose to kind of dig in a little deeper before deciding, you can see that both Democrats and Republicans can be on the same side opposing a bill or for a bill. And that's really, really helpful for me to know that we're not existing as monoliths. And, you know, just to just to provide nuance um, to, to this process. Did you already believe in voting on specific issues rather than just for candidates? Or was this belief cultivated later? I think I already believed in that a lot. And it goes back to something you said in your introduction, the fact that so many bills are being voted on every week that we don't hear about. And this is when the real work that affects our lives gets done. It's between elections. And so yes, voting is important. Voting is how you can hold your reps accountable. But the real work is happening throughout the year between elections. And that is the process of policymaking in our democracy, which is often overshadowed by the politics side, which is the elections, the candidates, the running for office. Thank you for separating those two because they are they do have distinctions and I think we often conflate them into one blob and think it's all the same thing. And moving from one-time actions to long-term adjustment in such a complex system, how can these one-time actions actually lead to long-term change? Do you have an example? One thing I wanted to say and, and share, and I think people know this now, but just in case, that every time you contact your rep, it is counted. It is tracked. And so it was interesting because I think people are more aware of that now, but when I started Issue Voter and would share that, sometimes people were surprised. So just in case, every time you contact your rep, it is tracked. It is tallied. It is noted. The staffers in the office put together reports for the member of Congress or the senators about what issues people contacted about, what their opinions were on a potentially weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly basis, depending on the office. And so that's one thing just to know. So when you're contacting your rep, it is not just going into a black hole. And I think the other way to really enforce accountability is to tie it to voting. So as I we had talked about earlier, them being separate, like yes, the policy side and the election side are separate. But when you contact your rep, and if you are able to basically say, I support this bill, that's already great. But even better is being able to say, I support this bill and I potentially am not going to reelect you if I see that you don't. That's really accountability. And so that's what we need. And I think in order to make the big picture change that I get really excited about and kind of the vision and the mission that actually drives me is 
is equality by having a more representative Congress, by knowing that there are so many values and things that the majority of Americans support that are not getting done. And the way that we can make that happen is when these actions and things like issue voter become a household name. There is an aspect of this that requires volume, but as I shared earlier, it doesn't always require the level of volume that you might think. So you might think, oh, I need, you know, oh, like this isn't gonna matter. I'm not gonna send my opinion because there might just be five of us or 10 of us. That actually matters because so few people are doing it. So there's that aspect of it. And then just imagine if all of your friends and family, and even if something like 3% of Americans did this, it would have a huge impact. And so, and so it is something that there's both the individual action, which is important, but also the collective action. And in terms of examples of how we can influence a specific issue or a specific bill, I would say this, I don't think any one organization can take credit for that in every situation. So sometimes I get frustrated when I see organizations say, contact your rep, sign this petition. And we can talk, I know we can talk about petitions too. And then once that action happens and the bill either does or doesn't pass, then all of those organizations like to tell their members, it's because of us that this happened. It might've been a piece of it, but I will say it is complex. There are a lot of different factors that go into whether or not a bill passes. So I really don't think any one organization can claim credit for that. Hmm. That's a really interesting point and, and important to not take things so personally as well, especially if it then undermines your sense of, well, if my vote didn't count this time, then I'll just quit altogether. And just maintaining that sense of sustenance throughout the process and that this really is complicated, but when all of the different ducks are in a row, you really can make a great line toward progress. And I I love that you pointed out that there are a majority of people who share these values. Even if we have different views on matters, fundamentally, there are some core things because we haven't really heard a lot of information about where we're united as of late. And I know that media and a whole lot of power dynamics and larger systems play into the narratives that each of us are internalizing and even seeing on our television screens different they they differ state to state and textbook to textbook and so let's dive a little bit into um, the divisiveness that we're seeing right now there's a lot of division over the black lives matter movement and conversations surrounding oppression and police brutality leadership and lack of judicial action and we've seen an eruption of petitions across the internet supporting Black Lives Matter causes, or at least the ones that I've, I've seen. Can you explain why petitions don't automatically work? And then we'll, we'll talk further about the uh, unity aspect. But first, what are these petitions and why aren't they effective? I'll give a caveat. I do think petitions can be effective for smaller local issues and for petitioning against a company. And that is because, for example, in a corporate context, A company has the ability to react quickly, to make a change. A company can see immediately if a petition is damaging their reputation and they'll want to correct that as soon as they can. And so I think there are some situations where the awareness that petitions bring to issues can actually create a change that does not include the federal government, (laughs) that does not include federal legislation. So in the context of federal legislation, I would never tell someone not to sign a petition. I mean, I don't want to discourage people from doing something that they feel good about, but I would just caution people that the majority of petitions for any federal issue or any national issue 
are for list building. That is why, that is the number one reason organizations use petitions is they are trying to build their list. So just know, if you sign a petition, you're signing up for their mailing list. At the end of the day, that is what you are doing. And you're signing up for their mailing list so that they can then bring you down the, it's like a marketing funnel. It's like the easiest thing you can do is get someone, emotion, have an emotional reaction, they sign the petition, you're, you're on the mailing list. Then they can send you information, they can share content with you, and you might want that content. I mean, you might want to be on their mailing list, so mm-hmm. that's fine. And then they might want to ask you for donations, and they are an organization that needs money to exist, so there's nothing wrong with asking for donations. But just kind of, I would say for people, just kind of know, like, primarily that's what you're doing. You're signing up for their mailing list. I've had advocacy groups literally tell me, oh yeah, we're going to put out a petition on HR, insert the number here. We know that bill isn't going anywhere, but we're going to do this big petition campaign. And so that's just my, like, word of caution is that if you actually think the petition itself is going to result in policy change, I will almost guarantee it will not in the context of federal legislation. It has to be a lot of different factors. It might raise awareness. It might be something that, you know, maybe your goal is to help this organization grow their mailing list. I always look at who created the petition and who it's being delivered to sometimes to, to make, to kind of triangulate for myself what the petition is really trying to do. Mm. I've seen some, a lot of times I see petitions to Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell. And then whenever I see something like that, to me, it's a bit of a red flag that this is not really something that my rep is going to see. I personally, for example, am not Nancy Pelosi or Mitch McConnell's constituent. I don't live in either of those states. So why would I assign a petition going to them? It doesn't make sense. And so that's the other thing I think for people to remember is that it's really the most powerful for you to contact your rep in the area that you're living in, because they are the ones elected to represent you. Side note, whether your reps are actually supposed to represent you is also sometimes a debated topic. I would say that clearly my view is that they are, but there are some people would say that that is kind of a revolutionary statement. Really? Why is a representative not necessarily supposed to literally represent you? (laughs) I would say, yeah, I would say sometimes people, if you interpret the way that our government was created and founded as you're almost electing someone like a trustee and you're just in, you're you're trusting them with your with with what they want if they if they're a good person you're electing them they're a good person so they can they can make these decisions on your you know but it doesn't mean that you have agree or it doesn't mean that they're always making the decision on your behalf so it's just it depends on how you think about it but i definitely am of the mind of our reps should represent what the majority of their constituents want, but not so far as to say that we should have a direct democracy, which would mean like every single person is voting on every single law and then just majority rules. Because I will say, I don't think that we can be, we don't all care about everything equally. And we don't, we, we should not expect everyone to be a policy expert. I mean, so there is this aspect of, I do still want the government that we have where we elect someone to do this work for us. Like that's their job. I don't necessarily want to get in the weeds that much to where it's my full-time job, but it's something where we're so far removed from accountability right now. It's just like, we need a healthier balance. On both sides, on both the, the voter side and the representative side. And so when did you make the decision that issue voter was not going to engage in creating petitions? I don't think I ever would have even considered that. <laughs> just knowing, just my strong feelings about petitions. <laughs> so it's, it was never, almost never a question. <laughs> and now let's talk, I guess, more about being uh, nonpartisan here. Our, our society has been so split by party that it can be easy to forget about the issue at hand and, and weigh it independently. I'm sorry, not <laughs> through the independent party lens, but uh, objectively, I guess I'll say. Can you explain why 
voting can be a nonpartisan act. And when it comes to concepts like anti-racism, are those automatically partisan? I think there are a lot of things these days that feel partisan that shouldn't be, mm-hmm. that are not partisan. So I don't think the act of voting is partisan. You know, every everyone in the U.S. has the right to vote. You know, every citizen has the right to vote. And I believe that everyone should exercise that right, regardless of your opinions. So I'm, I stand firmly in that, you know, with issue voter, we don't, we're not an advocacy organization. So we are not there to say an issue, a certain issue is more important than another issue or to like say that, oh, you should be interested in this issue. We're also not there to say that either side of the opinion on any issue is like the right one to be on, or we're not there to like convince you of any side. But I will say the thing that I will take a stand on and feel very comfortable doing so is that we are for voting. (laughs) I mean, we are, that is how we hold our reps accountable. So we encourage people to vote, the act of voting. So to me, like the act of voting is nonpartisan. I think there are organizations and things out there that make it feel like whenever you encourage voting, it feels partisan. It really shouldn't be, in my opinion. And to the point on, on, you know, anti-racism, I mean, I don't think that, I don't think that racism is partisan. It shouldn't be. I mean, like, frankly, I bet you, I mean, this is like, maybe, I don't know, this is not a good example. I was going to, I don't have any examples, but I don't think that you could look at what party someone is registered as and, and then automatically know if they have ever said anything racist in their life. I mean, I just, I, I just don't think that is a thing. I think that as humans and, you know, going back to our values, I think that I feel very comfortable saying that being, you know, against racism should be nonpartisan. We can all be against racism. I don't think, I don't think anyone, I mean, I hope, I, I, I don't think any, I, well, I would hope that, that no one wants racism. And I think to, to build off of what you're saying, because of the way certain parties or groups and movements and organizations can utilize words like anti-racism, it can start to take on the connotation or implication that it is partisan. Um, when in reality, if we can extract it from all of those narratives and really just examine it for what it is, there is a, a lot of space for each of us, in my understanding so far, to grow in our awareness of how racism and all of the isms interplay with our daily experiences with each other. And I, I know I can stand to learn infinitely more about how my life affects other people, my body language, my verbiage, um, my lack of understanding different cultural customs, social customs across different groups. And that's just a matter of, you know, placing understanding and compassion at the forefront and not assuming that just because a word has been lumped into a certain political party's agenda or however you'd like to craft it, that it's only limited to that purpose. So thank you for helping clarify that. And I want to ask about just becoming a more informed voter overall. You know, we've talked about the importance of civic responsibility and issue voter has made major strides uh, connecting these missing pieces of communal civic action. But, you know, there are many of us who are just getting to the voting age or we're just becoming aware of these issues that we've, we haven't been aware of. For instance, 2020 has been this monumental learning experience. One of the most important things I'm learning is how to translate this knowledge into taking action judicially and civically. And so, so what in your words, what does it really mean to be an informed voter? 
That is a really good question. It's a, it sounds like it's a simple question, but I think it's, it's pretty complex. I would say that to me, being an informed voter is having an understanding of the candidates that are running, what their opinions on issues are, what, they, what their stances are on various issues, and trying to triangulate that with which issues I care the most about. Because I also, I also think there are a lot of people out there where if you ask someone, you know, I mean, I mean, look, like we in the United States, we have a two-party system, so pretty much. And so if you ask most people, I would, I suspect that most people would not say that they agree with every single platform item in the Democratic Party or every single platform item in the Republican Party. And so there is an aspect where people have to kind of prioritize which issues are going to be the ones that they vote on. And it doesn't mean being a single issue voter. It can be more than one issue. But I would say that it, that trying to understand where the candidates stand on those issues, which is easier said than done, right? So the, the League of Women Voters, for example, will usually put out a voting guide. There's a website called votesmart.org, which also shares information about candidates. The way that we do it with issue voter, I think is especially powerful for primary elections because we have had many people tell us, you know, you start using issue voter and sometimes they are really happy and they are really excited to reelect their rep. And they have this sense of confidence of like, wow, I started using issue voter and I'm seeing my rep is actually representing me and I'm excited to reelect them. And then some people will see my rep is not representing me at all. This is horrible. And this might motivate them even more to vote. But at the same time, sometimes people are surprised. So some people will see, oh, this rep that I thought was representing me because I just assumed they were because of party affiliation potentially. So maybe, maybe someone, you know, affiliates with a certain party and their rep is the same party. Sometimes they start to see that their rep is actually not necessarily representing them as much as they thought. And that's where I think issue voter becomes really powerful in primary elections, where because politics, unfortunately, are so polarized, I think some people may not feel comfortable in the general election voting for the candidate of the other party. Mm. But it does give people an opportunity in the primary elections to potentially elect a candidate running that more closely aligns with, with their values and how they feel about certain policy issues. That's a great point and so much to unpack there. And I'm, because I've been using issue voter, I actually feel more at ease somehow when the president presidential elections come around because I'm able to know that I've been playing a part and becoming more and more and more and more aware of all of the pieces that are on the board for the entire duration between terms, presidential terms. And so when the election comes up, I'm less overwhelmed overall when I see, you know, this sense of being bombarded with where do you stand on this and which candidate stands for that? And I'm like, oh, I actually not only understand what you're talking about, but I know the reps in my area, are they like where they stand on it? And and it's, it's, I just really appreciate understanding sort of the interlocking system here. Are there any other small steps that you recommend for just small ways we can be more active in politics uh, without, for example, you know, needing to get a, a degree on the subject? So I'll just, just really quick touching on the election and then, and then more broadly about politics. For the election, I would definitely encourage everybody listening or watching to register to vote if you're not already registered and just vote.gov and it has every single state listed and you can see what state you're in and register if you're not already registered. And I think that a lot of people already are registered to vote. And for those individuals, I would say just text three friends. It takes, it's like takes two seconds and remind them to register to vote. And then I think very important for this year 
is see if you can get a mail, mail-in ballot and just get that done now. I mean, it's like one of these things, just get it off of your to-do list. Don't wait till the last minute. You know, some states you have to register to vote a month before the election or some states you have to request the, the mail home ballot like pretty far in advance. So I feel like it's just one of these things, like it's on my to-do list. I need to just do it now so I don't have to think about it in the fall. So those are the things I would say, just easy reminders to just, just do, just get it done. In terms of other actions that people can take, I will say that I'm really proud of a couple of stats about issue voters. So I think if we were, we're a nonprofit, if we were a for-profit company, you know, I feel like a lot of times they'll track number of users, number of clicks, number of page views, things like that. For us, it's really about impact. So the things that I'm really proud of are we know that a third of people said that they were motivated to vote in the first place because of using Issue Voter. And 94% said that they've learned about new issues for the first time. 47% said that they were exposed to new viewpoints. So this is one of the points I wanted to mention about like what you can do year round. I think is, it's not to, you don't have to change your mind. You don't have to change your view. But I think even at least knowing what the other side is saying or how both sides are talking about the issues will help have, have those conversations, have difficult conversations potentially, and ask a lot of questions. And I think that can really help our country if more people who disagree start talking to one another in a way that's active listening, in a way that's compassionate, not not arguing, not like what we see on, I mean, oh my gosh, it's so disheartening sometimes if I read like Twitter comments <laughs> in the Twitter feed, I can't read those, but actually having a real conversation with somebody. And I think that the other thing that we're really proud of is 59% have said that issue voter has motivated them to take other forms of civic action. So that means specifically beyond registering to vote, also things like attending town hall meetings. So a lot of reps right now are having virtual town halls. So you can look up your rep's website and find out if they're having a virtual town hall and connect with them that way. And if they're not, you can ask them to. You can request that they host a town hall for their district. Uh, And the other thing is uh, volunteering for their local community. And so potentially we may not be doing volunteering in person, but I would say that it's still, you know, nonprofits right now really still need our support. And so thinking about the issues that you care about and the nonprofits in your area that you can either help by donating either time or money. Perfect. And speaking to those of us like myself who are introverted and who have some social anxiety, I've actually found that because we're at home, it has been an easier entry point for me to get more involved because I can attend these meetings virtually and grasp how they flow and what the nature of them, you know, what what, what that looks and feels like. And then I know as things open back up, it won't feel like I'm showing up unannounced with no reference point. I, so, so I do encourage those who are listening who are like, okay, I got to check out what Issue Voter is really all about. I will emphatically state that since being on the site, I now fall into that category of the, the stats you listed of people who learned about a new issue they didn't know about, uh, who want, want to get more involved and have taken steps to do so. And, and that's, I mean, it really, like, I, I feel like a citizen, <laughs> you know, I, I don't, growing up, I didn't really have a, an understanding of what that word uh, meant. So I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, I just have a couple more questions about your personal vision and where you see this headed. And then I will let you go on with the rest of your day. So one, one quick minute. 
Welcome back. We are here chatting with Maria about issue voter and just understanding our own democracy and government and politics and all the nuance. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and ask about your vision for issue voter. You are the founder and CEO. And I actually, I guess before we even talk about vision, I just have a personal question because I'm imagining managing people who, you know, come from a, a multitude of backgrounds is quite a skill, especially like with something that speaks straight to the core of our hearts and psyches and worldviews. How do you approach managing a team and then also keeping it by uh, non nonpartisan? So with our team, we have we just we simply use tools that make it easy to work remotely, and so I also really enjoy giving people a lot of ownership and autonomy. And similar to how we want to really create transparency and accountability for our system and for reps, those are also values that we have as part of our stated values for the team. So transparency and autonomy and accountability. And so I think that lends itself to being able to work remotely really well. And we have people spanning a lot of different time zones. We have two weekly meetings a week. We have daily check-ins just through through an app that we use. And so I think that has really enabled us to function well as a team together. And in terms of how we keep things nonpartisan amongst the team, to be honest, I, I don't know. It hasn't really come up yet as an issue. We select article topics to write about. We summarize legislation. We write a newsletter. And I think that we are just really, we have editorial guidelines that we follow and it doesn't really ever become, we haven't had a situation where every, anything's ever become contentious. And actually, even today, I had an intern tell me that she was like, Maria, actually, I don't know what your opinion is on this issue, or I don't really know where you stand. And I told her, oh, I guess that's a good thing. Because that means, you know, I'm not, I'm not coming across as biased or, you know, kind of, leading the team to believe a certain thing. Mm -hmm. So I actually took that as a compliment that this uh, individual who's been working with us for several months now is like, I don't actually know where you stand on, on politics. Wow. Yes, that's impressive. And you really are quite the entrepreneur and, and leader. So I know you've got a vision for where you want issue voter and and other businesses to go in the future. What does that look like? What are you working on now with this 10 selection coming up. What do you hope Issue Voter will accomplish for the health of democracy in this country and beyond? Yeah, so I definitely think that I see Issue Voter as being a part of the movement towards a healthier democracy. And I don't know if I would have said this 10 years ago, but I really do believe that our democracy is facing an existential crisis. And so it is more important than ever for people to be informed and to make their voices heard. And the vision is to create a more representative democracy so that together we can create the world we want to live in by making our voices heard. And at the end of the day, we are a nation built on laws and policy change is what will create the lasting sustainable change that we all envision for a better future. And so that is how I frame what we are working towards. Um, more tactically, some of the things that we're working on for the fall are partnering with organizations and so we welcome really any individual or any organization to reach out to us. If you are interested in sharing Issue Voter as a free resource for your community, for your audience, for your friends and family, schools, companies, whatever that world is for you, 
we really welcome you to reach out to us and for us to be able to share that with you. Please let me know again how we can continue amplifying Nature Voter across my platforms and Simplexity and uh, we can keep the conversation going, not just leading up to the election, but even thereafter, because I really, really strongly value and respect what you've created and designed. And I, I do agree that that mission is, it's palpable in every part of your platform. You can see how this really would aid in creating a healthier democracy and, and country overall. And I know that you, you've talked about kind of integrating mindfulness into the process of uh, politics. What does that look like? Do you have anything to share on that right now? Or is that still kind of formulating? That's something that I'm looking forward to your thoughts on as well. And we're still formulating it, but we will be putting out an article soon about mindfulness and politics, but it relates a little bit to what we were talking about earlier around active listening, around some of the science behind brain chemistry and, you know, people get activated your, your brain gets activated in a certain way when you see certain things on social media or when you see something on the news and there's this immediate sometimes like emotional reaction. And so the mindfulness aspect is similar to how we always think about mindfulness is like take a deep breath and like just being aware of like, what is this that I'm actually seeing and being able to question things critically. And sometimes I think because things are polarized, if you read something from a certain source or as Allison, you were mentioning earlier, certain words that are being used, they can automatically make you assume something, mm -hmm. but also just a lot of questioning around, is this some assumption correct? Is the way that I'm, how else could this be interpreted? We have a draft. And so I'd love your input on it. I actually, as you were talking, have so many ideas already. I'm like, oh, you could do a seven day kind of mindfulness meditation series even that integrates, hey, as you're approaching the elections, here are some different concepts we can meditate on and, and learn how to, like you said, breathe through them and witness our own thoughts and feelings and reactions in a non-judgmental way. And also, that's going to create the space for us to be able to hear and communicate with other people similarly. So that's that's exciting. I'm I'm like, oh, okay, we'll have to sidebar and and build something out if you want. Otherwise, I will be sharing that article. And no, so, I'd love those, to. yeah. So for those of us who want to learn more, how can we find you and follow you online? I would love everyone to sign up at issuevoter.org. It is a free service. It will always be a free service, free public service that, you know, I feel very strongly that we're a nonprofit and we really just exist for you, for your family, your communities, uh, and, and for you to be more engaged. And we can also be found on every platform at Issue Voter. So Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Medium, at Issue Voter. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us. This has been great. Thank you so, so, so much, Allison. Excellent. That was so informative. And I will be returning to this over the next several months as we scale into the frenzy of presidential elections. So now it's time for our weekly affirmations. Use these next phrases to challenge, refine, contemplate your current beliefs and approaches to politics, government, voting, etc., and I'll repeat each twice and then leave space in the third if you'd like to recite it out loud. Here we go. Number one, I choose to be more politically aware this year. I choose to be more politically aware this year. 
Number two, when I contact my representative, my voice matters. When I contact my representative, my voice matters. That's right, it does. Number three, I select my leaders carefully and hold elected officials of both parties accountable. I select my leaders carefully and hold elected officials of both parties accountable. And lastly, I approach politics with mindfulness. I approach politics with mindfulness. Cool beans. Ooh, my Midwest is popping through there. Okay, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you haven't done this already, hit subscribe so you can be ready for next week's episode. And if you haven't, please leave a rating and review so I can see what you think about complexity. It is a joy and privilege and challenge to be able to bring this to you every week. And if a certain part stuck out, please post so you can share it with your friends and family. And also make sure you tag us at Simplexity Podcast and at Allison Stoner on Instagram. And I can't wait to reshare it with the community. I will see you next week for more Simplexity. It's anything but small talk. Peace.